Amen. I walked outside yesterday, took a little break, and walked over to Main Street and felt this wonderful breeze. Did y'all feel it yesterday? And I thought, it sure does feel like fall. You know, it's this great feeling. I know it may not be officially fall, uh, but uh, I guess traditionally for us, it's beginning after this week. And I am ready for it to get here because I'm ready for us to get settled down into the fall programming and all those kind of habits that we have. And I know a lot of y'all have been all kinds of places this summer. Some people, of course, decided to uh, jump ship this weekend, one last trip before it ends. Um, but here's the deal. We want everybody back next week, okay? So Sunday, September 10th is going to be big at First Baptist Church. So you plan on being there. We've got activities planned in Sunday school from children to uh, senior adults. So you plan on being there. Dr. Estep will be back in the pulpit. Steve will be leading the choir and orchestra. It'll be a great day of worship. And then we've actually had part of, are going to have part of Washington Street shut down. And there'll be food trucks out there, a big tent where you can eat outside. Or you can eat inside at First Family Lunch. But that's next week. I want to see you there. You call and tell everybody about it. And let's pack the place out next Sunday as we get ready for fall to begin. But when I walked outside and I felt that breeze, I said, it feels like fall. And then I was with somebody and I said, actually, it feels like football. You know, the feeling where it's like, I can tell it's here. So every, I, well, almost everybody should be pretty happy today, right? So there's reasons for smiles today. Um, if you were watching football yesterday, I know not everybody, but almost everybody. Um, but I know I should use a football analogy to kind of start our lesson here. But um, listen, uh, we're about a month away from the major leagues going to playoffs. So I'm actually going to give a baseball uh, illustration here by mentioning one of the great players, Cy Young. Steve Phillips will really be disappointed he wasn't here when I talked about a baseball player in the worship service. But uh, Cy Young is one of the greats, not the greatest, but he's one of the greats. As a major league baseball player, he actually has a record that will never be broken. Nobody will ever break this record, no matter how long they keep playing Major League Baseball. He uh, pitched 749 complete games in his career. Uh, well, the closest to him is about 100 games away. And if you look at the active pitchers, pitchers in the Major uh, Leagues right now, uh, the closest, kind of who's leading the pack, is uh, C.C. Sabathia of the Yankees. And uh, CeCe's kind of at the end of his career here almost, but he's only pitched 38 complete games compared to Cy Young's 749. Nobody's going to do it. And the reason is the philosophy's changed, right? Used to, the philosophy was you start pitching a game, you're going to end pitching that game. But nowadays, they're just looking more for a quality start. Somebody who can go in there and give him six or seven good innings. Um, but today, I'd like to say to you, and I think you'd agree with me, that life is not just about a quality start, is it? It's not just about a quality start. You should ought to start well, but you better finish well. And so today, we're going to look at our God, who always throws a complete game, every single time. And His game is to make you into the man or woman that He designed you to be as His follower. And if He started it, you can guarantee he's going to finish it in your life. Because God cares about the spiritual progress in your life. And he will ensure that he, the work in your life is done. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I had to come up with a whole new outline. I'm not going to use the pastor. So we're not going to be in 1 Corinthians. Philippians chapter 1. And of course Philippians is an epistle written by Paul and Timothy. 
uh, with uh, Timothy's assistance to the church at Philippi. And so that's who he's writing to, a church that he cared deeply about. He says at the beginning, whenever I think of you and when I remember you, I always say thank you, God, for them. So reading from Philippians 1, beginning in verse 6, and we'll read through verse 11. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul, in this passage, expresses his affection for the Philippian church. And he offers this confident prayer to God for God's blessing on this spiritual growth in their life. That's what he's concerned with. What we learn from this text is that God cares about and works in the lives of believers to bring about spiritual growth. That's what he's doing in our lives. How does he do that? How does he bring about spiritual growth in our lives? Well, I think from this passage you can learn three ways that God is working to bring about growth in the lives of Christians. And so we're going to see how God works in believers to bring about spiritual progress. First of all, until the good work he begins is completed. Secondly, through members of his church. And finally, by responding to the petitions of those who pray. So first of all, we discover God works in believers to bring about spiritual progress until the good work he begins is completed. Now, verse 6 is a verse you all ought to have memorized, okay? If you don't have it memorized, that's your assignment. Philippians 1.6. You probably have it on a coffee cup or on the background of your desktop computer or iPad or maybe you have a cross-stitched version of it framed in your house. And that's okay because this is a good verse. Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, obviously Paul is talking to the Philippian church here when he writes this. And as I said, Paul loves this church. Paul feels a strong relationship to them. And one of the reasons is he has a long relationship with them. He was there in the beginning when God first began the work in so many of their lives. And his proposition is, if God began the good work, I'm telling you he's going to finish it. And so it's as if Paul is kind of looking back at that day when they responded to the gospel and he says, and I can see what God's doing in your life and he's going to complete that good work in your heart. And one of the first and most significant conversions that we know that Paul, Silas, and Timothy witnessed in Philippi um, was that of a jailer. Do you remember that? Acts 16 kind of describes this. When uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy were kind of went to Philippi for the first time, one of the first times the gospel makes it to the European continent, and they're there, Paul and Silas are walking around, and they get arrested for disturbing the peace, is what the scripture says. And um, it was because there was a slave girl that was following them around, kind of taunting them, and they rebuke the demon that's in her, cast the demons out of her. And the master of that slave girl is disappointed because the girl made money off of, of being a fortune teller. And now that the demon's gone, she can't tell fortunes anymore. 
And so they kind of complain about that, and they have Paul and Silas arrested. They're arrested, they're beaten, they're thrown in jail. And we find Paul and Silas in Acts 16 are praying and singing praises to God um, in the evening when all of a sudden God miraculously freed them through something like an earthquake. And so let me read to you from Acts 16 how the jailer reacts to this. Verse 27, when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a dramatic conversion. He was about to take his life and then all of a sudden is set free from sin and death. In that moment, God began his good work in the life of that Philippian jailer. And we know it went on to include everyone in his household. They all believed and were baptized. And so what was the good work? Well, we know the good work is not just a reference to the moment of salvation. It's more than that. Paul seems to be talking about a process, the process of salvation, the process of becoming more like him. He's talking about sanctification, what it is for us to go through this process of becoming holy. That's what he's talking about here. So what had begun during the miraculous kind of midnight prayer service in the Philippian jail when God ultimately reconciled the jailer to himself, reconciled the jailer's family to himself, that was not the end of the story. God began a good work in that jailer's life, just like he began a good work in the life of every other believer in the Philippian church, and just like he began a good work in all of those who've responded to the gospel since then and been reading this passage. And the same could be said for everyone who's responded to the gospel. So God started a good work in the life of every Christian when they respond to the gospel, but the good work is ultimately a process as a person matures in the faith. You know, we don't know anything else about the Philippian jailer. Uh, there's some tradition about what happened to him, but we don't really know much else about him. But if he's like every other person that you and I know, I think we could assume a few things about him. I'm sure that after he responded to the gospel, that life wasn't just a bed of roses for him. I'm sure everything wasn't just perfect. You know, that the land just didn't lay out flat in front of him. I bet he had some setbacks. I bet he experienced some tragedies, possibly in his own family. I'm sure there were probably stressful experiences, frustrating circumstances. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that the Macedonian church experienced deep poverty. So maybe he was the same thing. Maybe he went through poverty and he had kind of experienced that. We also know that later in Philippians it talks about there were those who opposed the Philippian church. Perhaps that included him. Where they opposed him and his testimony and the, the life that he was living, he might have experienced all kind of persecution there. What I'm trying to say to you is everything probably did not go perfectly for this Philippian jailer or anything, anyone else in the Philippian church. I'm sure there were moments of discouragement and possibly even where they said, did God just leave us? Did he start all this and we get all excited and now he's abandoned us and he's never going to finish it? I imagine that some of them had those thoughts before. Well, Paul writes, I am sure that God will complete it. And the Greek word that Paul uses means to be convinced. He was convinced. He had no question about it. 
And so you think, how could Paul be so convinced? How could he have been convinced that God was going to finish this good work in him? Do you think it's because he remembered these folks and he said, because y'all are just so good. I remember how faithful you were. And I remember the encouragement that you offered. You're just so positive. Or maybe y'all are some of God's choice people. There's no way he's going to abandon y'all because you've just done so much for the gospel. You've done so much for the church. Do you think that's what he's saying there? No. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he will bring it to completion. Paul's confidence, it's in God. It's not in the people of Philippi. Gordon Fee writes, this confidence has very little to do with them and everything to do with God, who both began a good work, which is still in evidence, and will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. I once heard uh, Pastor John Ortberg say it this way. He says, God always pitches a complete game. And so how does he do that? What's he got? He's got power. How much power does he have? He has enough power. He has enough power to change the heart of Pharaoh. He has enough power to change the mind of Nebuchadnezzar. He has enough power to heal the skin of the leper. He has enough power to shut the mouth of Zechariah for nine months. God has enough power to deliver Israel out of Egypt, to deliver David from Goliath, to deliver Elijah from Jezebel, to deliver Esther from Haman, to deliver three men from a fiery furnace, to deliver Daniel from a den of lions, and to deliver a little baby in a manger from a great king named Herod. He has enough power uh, in, in him to honor his covenant, to offer forgiveness, to keep his promises, and in Jesus, he had enough power to come all the way down to earth and enter a little body like yours and mine. And when they tried to kill him, he had enough power to roll the stone away and call Jesus up out of the grave. So who's pitching? God's pitching. And whatever he begins, he's going to finish. You may be looking at your life and you see that there's no light at the end of your tunnel. Maybe your circumstances are so overwhelming and you're like, well, somebody might complete it. You're saying, but you're not talking about me and my situation. Let me tell you, it may be too tough for you to overcome, but God will complete what he has begun. Paul's convinced of it, and let me say amen to that. I'm convinced of it too. Now, if you're as impatient as I am, then you probably are anxious to see spiritual growth in your life. You know, and you think, why am I still struggling with the same old anxieties that I was struggling with last year, five years ago? Or why do I still, am I still tempted by the same things that I know are meaningless and pointless? Why do the same sins keep tripping me up? Why am I still so obsessed with myself or concerned with other people think about me? And you're just looking at your life and you're wondering, when's this whole progress or process of salvation going to take place in my life. But Paul says the good work will not be completed until the day of Christ. The day we see Jesus and the process of sanctification is done. Um, 13 months ago we started the process in uh, taking the YMCA and converting it to what's now 1420 Sumter. Now it is not, it was not anything close to what it is now 13 months ago. And some of y'all walked in there and you know that hard work that they went through to you know, rip out walls and put in steel and pull up flooring, all this stuff. I remember about six weeks ago, we walked in with staff and committee and we knew we gotta have this thing open. 
And I remember some comments of there's no way it's going to be ready. Because you just look at it and you think, how in the world? But folks, that's what it is, one room at a time, one piece at a time. Well, God begins the work of spiritual growth in our lives when we're first saved. And his goal is to make us to be like Christ. But the process is from one degree of glory to the next, one piece of the puzzle at a time. So due to circumstances, the Philippians could have doubted God's commitment to complete his good work in their life. You know, even Paul could have. He was in jail at this time. He could have been saying, God, have you given up on me too? You know, he would have rather been preaching in the temple in Jerusalem. But instead, he's caught up in a prison. But here's the deal. They trusted. And we are to trust God in his commitment and his ability to complete what he begins. God's committed to bring about the growth in your life that you need spiritually. And he provides us ways to help us along the way. And one of those ways is by giving us the church as partners in ministry. So that's kind of the second point here that we see. God works in believers to bring about spiritual progress through members of his church. Paul writes about this. i got to flip over here. Paul writes about this in verse 7. Now, you have to remember, um, at this point, remember he started off and he said, every time I think of you, every time I remember you, I thank God for you. So that's kind of the verbiage that's coming out of his mouth. And then he says in verse 7, it's right for me to think this way about all of you. Because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So in the passage, Paul expresses three reasons that he's thankful for the Philippian church. Okay, He says, first of all, it's right for me to think this way about you because number one, I have you in my heart. Well, that's an expression of kind of an, an emotional tie that Paul feels towards this church in Philippi. It's a deep affection that he has for them. He cares about them. He's not simply grateful for what they've done or what they will do. He's, he's grateful for the Philippians because he has this deep and abiding connection with them. When they come to mind, he says, thank you, God. He's probably remembering folks that are there. Lydia, who was one of the leaders in the church. Maybe that slave girl... Possibly the Philippian jailer. When I think of you, I, I want to be there. I love you that deeply. And then the second reason he's thankful for them is because he viewed them uh, as true partners with him in grace. He was thankful for the ways that they served alongside of him. And he actually points out that they were ministry partners when he was in prison and also when he was a free man establishing and defending the gospel. So Paul's imprisonment could have really hindered the relationship between him and his church, but it didn't. Think about that. They could have said, are we really going to stand by him right now? He's an enemy of Rome. You know, we know that the Roman church was kind of split on how they responded to Paul. Some people were like, yeah, we, we've got your back, and others were like, we don't want to get close to him. That could turn out to be a mess for us, but not the Philippian church. 100% in his corner. We know they sent resources for him. Uh, they were true fellow workers that Paul could count on. So he was grateful for them. And then the third reason he points out in here, in uh, verse 8, um, it sounds like the first one. He says, for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, you might not believe what I'm saying, but I'm telling you, God is my witness. When I think about you, I miss you and I have this deep affection. Here's what I want you to see about Paul. Paul was a spirit-filled he had this spirit-filled love that was overflowing for fellow workers in the gospel. 
So it's clear that Paul is thankful for members of the church who he kind of counts as personal blessing and benefit to him. And the phrase that really jumps out of the verse at me is, you are all partners with me in grace. These men and women of faith were not just kind of tipping their hat at Paul, you know, shaking his hand. We're so glad to have you here. We pray for you. You know, we think about you on your birthday or whatever. These were people who were serving right alongside of him. They cared for him is kind of what he's communicating here. Um, and we know they sent him uh, resources whenever he needed it, money. They did that on several occasions. They even sent a friend for him, Epaphroditus, to go and to be a supporter and an encourager to him. They cared about him, and they partnered with him in advancing the gospel. So God, and this is what I want you to hear about Paul. Remember Paul used to be Saul? Three times in Acts we, we discover uh, Paul's conversion. And so he had a lot of Saul in him, and God is shaping him into being the man of God he designed for him to be. He uses all kinds of circumstances, but one of those is the church. He's kind of got to get off some of that Saul and to turn him into the Paul that he needs to be. And he uses the church to do that. That's what Paul's saying. So God was bringing about spiritual progress in Paul's life through the gift of the church. He does the same thing in your life and in my life. You know, as we see the gift of encouragers in Christ that you find in the church, exhorters, teachers, shepherds, um, we recognize that God brings about spiritual progress in our life through the church. We have ministry partners, in, uh, ministry, or partners in ministry that are gifts from God. When I came here on staff 15 years ago, I actually came to First Baptist when I was a college student in Carolina. And um, so I've been here for a while now. And some of you will remember what I was like about 15 years ago when I came on staff. I remember sitting right over there in that chair and how the pastor introduced me. And I think I thought I had it all figured out, you know? And, uh, but God has done so much in my life to shape me into who I am. And he didn't do that just because I could figure it out on my own. He used so many of you. When I was a college student, Aidan and Jim Rabin were still helping out with the college ministry back then. And I remember the influence they had on my life. People like the Milneys. So many people that had just poured into me and I think shaped me into who I am. People that have been on staff with me. Our pastor. How great is it that we have a pastor who's been here so long and been so faithful in helping to shape each and every one of us into the Christian that we are. We're not called to live the Christian life alone. God gives us fellowship. So look around the church. Look around the pews, okay? These are partners in ministry for you. So like Paul, maybe start taking notice and listing the ways you're thankful for them. Uh, this past week, on Thursday, a lady in this church came up to me. She might not be, she might not be happy I'll say her name, but I'm going to anyways because it was such an encouragement to me. Margaret Webb, who's just such a sweet encourager, said to me on Thursday morning as I'm starting my day, Wes, I hear people say your name a lot and it's always in a positive way. And that was life to my bones midweek, right? Folks, we should be telling people how thankful we are for them. And I learned from that. I said, you know what? I'm not going to keep those things either. I need to tell the people how God uh, used them in my life. Well, God gives us the church to bring about spiritual progress in our lives. And he's also responding to the prayers of the saints, of people that are praying for spiritual progress in life. That's what Paul does here. In uh, verse 9 here, we see the third point, how God responds to the petitions of those who pray. He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what we have here in this opening part of the epistle is Paul saying, giving glory to God, introducing himself, and saying thanks to these folks, and actually offering a prayer of thanksgiving. But then he turns it into a prayer of petition. In fact, there's two petitions in here. The first is this, that your love, he prays for this church, that your love will keep on growing so that you can approve the things that are superior. And the second thing he prays is that you can be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. So essentially he's praying that the church would have a growing love and a complete character. I like how the New American Standard translates verse 9. It says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Paul is saying that he is praying that their love would grow and then keep on growing. And it's interesting to me, you know, Paul doesn't pray that the Philippians would, I pray that you'll love more people. He doesn't pray that they would love in a better way or even be more loving. His prayer here is that their love would increase. Baker's commentary says Paul is praying that the ocean of their love may rise to its full height, overflowing its entire perimeter. In fact, that it may thus abound more and more. See, Paul says the result of this kind of abounding love in our life is the ability to be able to distinguish right from wrong. When you fail to love, you get really confused about what's right and what's wrong. But when love is overwhelming its perimeter in our life. My mom used to have this saying, she said with friends, she said, I'm sipping from my saucer because my cup is overflowing. Well, that's what it is, okay? It's when the love starts overflowing the cup and pouring out into the saucer. And he says when that kind of love is, that's the kind of love that's abounding in us, all of a sudden we can approve the things that are superior. You want to know the wise thing to do? Start loving. Let the love grow in you. So Paul prays for a growing love. Then he prays for a complete character in their lives. He prayed that they might be pure and blameless. You know what he does not pray? God, let them work harder at being pure and blameless. He does not say that. You know why? It's an impossibility. You cannot wash your hands enough. You cannot cleanse yourself enough to be pure and blameless before a holy God. But yet we try so hard, don't we? That is only the work of Christ in us. And Paul's reiterating that. So by being pure and blameless, Paul says the result is that we're filled with the fruit of righteousness. And he says it comes through Jesus. Jesus alone. Only he can make us holy. Only he can make us pure and blameless. And he's committed to that good work in your life, in my life. Paul is not putting a heavy burden on the Philippian Christians to start doing the work of making themselves pure and blameless. That's not Paul's purpose in this epistle. Only God can do that. So spiritual progress is not, not about trying harder, okay? It's about, doing, uh, it's about God doing his work in our lives. And this passage is a great illustration of how God responds to the petitions of God's brethren who pray for that goal in other people's lives. So let me just ask you a question. Are you trying to complete the good work that God started in your life in your own power? Let me go ahead and tell you, just stop. Instead, you invest your efforts in prayer to the only one who's able to bring about spiritual maturity in your life. Paul prayed for spiritual growth of those he loved. And I know you pray for people in this church for their health and their happiness. But folks, let's invest in these kinds of prayers. 
prayers for one another, that their love will keep on growing more and more. God cares about your spiritual progress as well as the maturity of those around you. And so he brings about that growth by responding to the prayers of people who are praying for that in others' lives. I know a lot of you are stuck in the past and living for yesterday. And then others are kind of caught in the here and now. But can you imagine the day that's yet to come when all of a sudden the eastern skies crack and here comes Jesus returning? What do you want to look like when you're standing before him? Let me tell you, you cannot hide behind your name and reputation and your title and your bank account. When you're before him, he sees you as you are. And you can try your best, but it will be filthy rags before him. Only God can complete the good work in you. Paul was concerned about that good work in the lives of those in the Philippian church. But if God would complete what he started in them, he'll do the same thing in you. God always pitches a complete game. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word here. Now, Father, we pray that you would do that good work in our hearts as we apply this message. And Father, go out and live for you and serve you. Lord, I just pray for each person here that we would start to be introspective. Lord, and respond to the, the message of the scripture. Um, Lord, as you complete the good work in us and grow us up in maturity. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. How are you going to respond to this passage? We all do it, right? So how are you going to do it? So let me just say to you, first of all, despite the evidence, God's not finished with you yet. God will complete what he's begun. Secondly, you need to double your commitment to the church. If you've never joined the local church, would you do that today? This church needs you, and quite frankly, you need the ministry of this church. Finally, God's still responding to the prayers of those uh, saints that involve you. And did you know that I pray for you? I pray that God will be at work in your heart and in your life. But the important thing is, God will complete what he's begun. Has he begun the good work in you? Have you responded to him today? If you've never taken the first step of believing in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, would you accept that invitation today? I'm going to invite everybody to stand as our choir sings. If the Lord's working in your heart, you respond.
announcements to make. I'm glad you're here, first of all. And so I sure hope that you'll be back next week as we have big that's going on. So you be sure and contact everybody about that. Of course, tonight, and since it's Labor Day weekend, there's no pr programs this evening, no Awana, no student small groups, no discipleship now, uh, just so you know that. As, uh, and Eli, you can go ahead and start walking up here, okay? So uh, did I do that like the pastor would? Eli, you come on up here. All right, now turn to this. As the pastor's been uh, saying to you, the month of August was kind of a catch-up month for us, okay? And so there's a... Uh, graph on the back here and uh, it tells us how we did uh, the truth is we pulled in and it says 412 I think it was about 415 after we counted everything on Friday so about four hundred fifteen thousand uh, dollars for the month of August and the truth is that's a great thing for us that's a great month of giving for us we kind of stretched the goal to 530 uh, but the truth is as we head into September we just need you to be faithful faithful in giving and you always are but I just want to remind you to continue to do that as we press towards uh, December. Uh, Eli Wishard is the chairman of our pastor search committee, and I think he's here uh, just to kind of make some comments. So I'll let you do that. We are still very early in the process, but I thought it was very important that we give you a report on just what's going on. First of all, I'd like to thank you for your prayers. I'd like to ask for you to continue to pray for us, but not only for us, Please pray for this church, for Dr. Estep, for the staff, and for the next senior uh, pastor that will be coming that the Lord is now preparing. Before I go further, if, I, if you would, if you're a member of the pastor search committee, would you please stand? These people uh, over the last couple of months have listened to literally hundreds of hours of preacher sermons. We also meet for at least an hour and a half every week to discuss what we've heard and also to discuss uh, our assignments. Um, we understand the importance of the responsibility that you've given us and you can have confidence that our commitment is to do God's will on his timetable. We cherish your prayers, your comments, your recommendations, there is a suggestion or prayer box in the foyer of the church. The only people that will see the notes that you put in there are the members of the pastor search committee. Again, thank you for your prayers uh, and your words of encouragement. All right. Well, we are going to dismiss. I'm going to invite you to stand as we pray the benediction. Heavenly Father, it is always a good day when we can gather together to worship you, our maker, our creator, our sustainer, life giver. And so we thank you that we've had this time. Lord, now help us to go out and to serve and to uh, be committed uh, to the values that you've entrusted us to. It's in Christ's name we pray.